Hi everyone, the views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in the following podcast belong solely to the host and its contributors. They are not necessarily the views of our employers, organizations, committees, or other group or individual. I'm David Campbell. And I'm Joseph Whitney. This is Brewing with BIM. Where we talk about construction processes, technology, BIM, and beer. Welcome to another episode of Brewing with BIM. Uh, I'm Joseph Whitney. We've got David Campbell. Um, and with us joining today is uh, Flora Liu from Biotechnic. Flora, say hi to the people of the internet. Hi, everybody. This is my first podcast. Very excited to be here. All right. And we're excited to have you. You actually have a tremendous background um, dealing with point clouds and BIM and just really cool technology and really excited to get into it. But before we do, we've got to ask you, what are you drinking? Um, as everybody knows, San Diego is actually very famous for its breweries. So I went to, we picked a Ballast Point Sour. I'm actually, like, to be honest, I'm not a beer person. So between like wine and a beer, the, the bridge the bridge for me will be the sour. So we picked this mango sour from Ballast Point. Yes. Okay. Yeah, that's good. We love the fruities. We love the lambics, the sours. They're they're great. And you don't have to drink beer for our podcast. You can drink whiskey. You can drink wine. You can drink whatever you want. Yep. Um, we're not no peer pressure here. Yeah. Um, David, I, I know you're you're a hipster man. You're up in the Portland area, buddy. What kind of crazy concoction you got for us today? Well, I'm a little I'm a little jealous of Flora's. The sour sounds pretty good today, actually. Um, but I am drinking one of my favorite breweries, Rogue, and uh, I have Bat Squatch, the Hazy India Pale Ale. All right. Yeah. Well, I am being kind of insensitive today, and I am drinking Corona. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> hey, I thought it was fitting. Uh, last <laughs> night, I you know, I, I was just like, all right, I'm over all this coronavirus. I'm going to drink some Corona, and I'm going to fall asleep watching Walking Dead. That was my whole plan. I had some Coronas <laughs> left over. All right, I'm drinking these on this podcast. You know, shout out to the coronavirus there. Hopefully wow, really? Better. I think in last episode, you know, as I mentioned, I was I was trying to prepare myself, so I listened to your last episode, and you're saying I wish I would drink some Corona. At least now you keep your words. You're really drinking it. <laughs> <laughs> Very rarely do I keep my word. That is perfect. I love that. <laughs> oh. All right. Well, well, let's let's get into it. I mean, there's there's a lot going on today. We're talking about coronavirus, um, and then we've got some really cool conversations about BIM and technology. But before I guess we we really get into it, um, how how is this coronavirus really impacting your business? You guys are, you know, explain to people who who you are, what you do, um, and then we can kind of have that conversation. Yeah, for sure. Um, so. I'm currently a studio lead of the company called Via Technic. Um, we are a VDC consultant firm based in Chicago, and we have multiple locations across the country. Um, we are involved in like a lot of like commercial healthcare infrastructure projects, including Apple Campus 2, uh, Tesla Gigafactory, Massport, and etc. So right now, this year, I'm transitioning to a new role, which I'm mainly overseeing a team of engineers and BIM specialists 
to work on a variety of BIM scanning or VR projects. So my role is trying to help bring up new young BIM professionals in the industry and help them to be successful in the project. Um, with this coronavirus, I think, you know, as I mentioned before, we're a consultant firm. It does really affect our um, work a bit because part of our team are actually will be working remotely with the owners stopping their projects or GC are not able to actually go into the site to do work. We can provide less help for them. But at the same time, I think it does provide us with a very unique advantage you know bim we always like rushing for the schedule bim is never like rarely the case coordinated everything is coordinated before yeah. the job starts right now since we have this time everybody is working remote i think it does give us more preparation yeah it gives you time to slow it down a little bit and control the process and actually um I guess it almost puts you in a unique position to where you could maybe test a few things out or kind of tweak your processes to figure out exactly what works better and you have the time to do that. Exactly. Um, and we've been promoting VR for so long and I think right now will be a really good opportunity for that because people are like working from home, they might be bored and they want to try something new. Yep. And VR like coordination would be like a really good fit for this period of time. Yes, what, definitely. Are, are you doing that through something like Fuser or VR Live or what are you currently plugging away to, to do sort of that uh, workflow? Um, so we're right now testing like using Oculus Quest um, in some um, high school project. So we actually, um, so we partner with another company called Inside VR. So they said, yeah, yeah. they said most of us, like everybody on the job, we actually have Oculus Quest. So we do this weekly VR coordination, which is extremely cool. And we just, everybody just using an online like a meeting number, we call in and we do this online meeting, we walk through together. Um, the very cool things is the software is specifically designed for BIM coordination. Um, so not so much for like a visual purpose. It's more for like coordination. So you can just, as for me, I'm a BIM coordinator. I can just bring everybody following my route. They will look at me and I can just uh, holding this thing like a lightsaber from Star Wars. And I just yeah. pointing somewhere, just ask everybody to check what I'm looking at and I can add notes and it will auto-populate in meeting minutes for everybody to, for action item as well, which is pretty cool. That's very awesome. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of the VR, I actually, um, so I, I did a little bit of, of uh, you know, snooping, a little bit of, of research on Viatechnic and seeing what you guys did. I mean, I'm very impressed by the profile, um, just of what, everything that you guys do. Um, and, and again, speaking of VR, I got into the uh, the Four Seasons kind of uh, video there, but it's actual like VR where you can navigate through that building in, in downtown Chicago. It's awesome. Very, very cool. I was doing it for my phone earlier, just kind of checking around. It was uh, a great experience. Yeah. Um, again, I feel like that's a um, very unique advantage if we're working for a um, consulting firm. So you have access to so many really really cool project so any type of project if you want to work on you would have an opportunity to do it 
So, for example, like for me, I didn't really have a chance to do VR at all like two years ago. And then one day I was like, when I woke up, I was like, hmm, VR is pretty cool. Maybe I want to try it. And then I just start using Fuser and Unity, you know, Unreal. And finally, now we're actually using this VR software for coordination, which is pretty cool. That is awesome. Yeah, it, it's great to see where it's going, especially, I mean, when you start pushing what VR, AR, and then MR with mixed reality, it's it's awesome to think about the possibilities. Yeah, exactly. Um, you guys went to AU this year, right? Yep. Yeah, so there is, um, we actually worked with version Hyperloop, and then they did a VR rendering video um, mm-hmm. in their keynote. Actually, we did that. It was um, by some of our team member. That's awesome. Yeah, that is awesome. Big fans of the Virgin Hyperloop. Yes, we are. <laughs> yes, yes, we are. <laughs> I, I, I geek out every time I start seeing it. I'm like, oh, I want to see what they're doing. <laughs> um, I had an opportunity to visit, visit their job site three weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And they did some demo for me. I was like, oh, my God, this is going to transform people's life a lot in the future. Yeah, yeah, it is. It, it really is. It's crazy. Uh, the things that they're doing, it's, I mean, it's going to be awesome. It really is. And, and if when we think about the construction of it and how they plan on, you know, making everything separate and kind of, I, I want to say at some point, I, I would think maybe prefabricated. I, I, don't, I don't know exactly how they'll do it, but I, I imagine that the way that they do things is going to help to innovate our industry. Yeah, really for do. sure. Exactly. It's definitely going to change transportation in the way that we um, think about rail projects in in particular. Mm-hmm. Um, they're very complex. They're um, sometimes over-engineered, which seems like it's also under-engineered. Uh, and they're very costly, and they, they take forever to do. But really what this whole version, you know, Hyperloop and all the Hyperloops are kind of about is kind of a modularized system that we can – you know, keep rebuilding. It's it's a great it's a great example of, of uh, the power of technology and prefabrication, especially when we get to that that point where we've got some viable test sites and all that fun stuff. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, I went to the job site and noticed actually, um, it's very different from a traditional construction firm. Is the every age of the people working there is actually very young, which is actually which is a good thing. Because, you know, right now, if you ask anybody working in construction industry, how many ex- years experience do you have? People normally tell you like, oh, 15 to 20 years experience. Um, but sometimes when they come to me, it's a single digit. I would be, sometimes I just don't want to say it, right? Like, you know, it's yeah. single digit compared to them. It's just, um, it's pretty trivial. Um, but I feel like BIM is such a good uh, like niche industry. It can help so many younger generation to establish themselves as a industry thought leader and teach people in confidence about the technology they know. That's what actually um, works out well for our firm and also for Virgin. You walk there, every single person is very young, and they but they are so passionate about what they're doing and bring new technology and their like background into their work. Yep. There, I feel like there's a lot of excitement too, especially as we get younger people involved in construction and technology, uh, you know, related to construction. Um, you, you get, you know, 
you get the guys that, that yes, they're the best superintendents. They know how to do it. They've been doing it for 20, 30 years, not discrediting that. But then you get somebody new in there who doesn't know anything, but, you know, they observe, they start to figure stuff out. But then they start to play with the software and all the technology that's available to them. And they figure out ways, you know, maybe we don't have to do it this way. Maybe we can figure out how we can shave an extra two weeks off the project. Maybe we can figure out how we can uh, get butts and beds a little faster, but also provide a better deliverable to the owner. Or maybe we we can, uh, you know, mitigate our rework and, and uh, litigation process. Like may, there's all these these things that we can think about. And I kind of like liken it to what you mentioned Tesla earlier. Think about what uh, Elon Musk has done with um, SpaceX. They, they literally started a rocket company with like nothing. Systems that would have cost, you know, tens of millions of dollars. They were building for like $20,000 yep. from scratch. So like well, having that same kind of ingenuity in construction is kind of awesome. It is, dude. I got to watch his interview. Um, <laughs> that act- so much money. And he's like, do I go SpaceX? Do I go Tesla? You know, do I go this way? Do I go that way? Uh, I, I really don't. You know, which one of your brain children do you want to drop? And he's like, you know what? I'm not. I'm just going to go cheaper and I'm going to go both. I'm going to split it and I'm going to go both. And then you've seen both like with what he's done, you know, with the amount of money that he kind of started with, what he, with what he's done and what they're doing and how they're accomplishing it. It's crazy. And, and I mean, it just gives into as they're you know, pushing out this new technology and using that passion to push this technology to its limits. Um, it, it's changing everything. Well, well, that's actually a good segue into this next uh, point. So as we're seeing that happen, you know, t- uh, Elon Musk is, is a visionary. We're also seeing that in construction as well. There's um, a few uh, Dynamo scripts. And this is something that uh, you had mentioned, too, in a previous conversation, Flora. That I really wanted to ask you about, you know, what you were using, how you were doing it. There's some Dynamo scripts that people are writing to like really push the boundaries of of uh, technology, working with point clouds, that sort of stuff. I'm I'm really eager to hear um, you know that conversation about how you guys were utilizing point clouds, uh, converting them to you know uh, solids and Revit or meshes. I'm, I'm really interested. You, I believe you mentioned it was something to do with Dynamo, if I'm not mistaken, right? Um. So in our firm, you know, norm, we did actually a lot of scan to BIM jobs, and there is a traditional way you do a normal building existing tenant fit out, which is use Revit or AutoCAD to do modeling. Um, but there are a lot of existing historical building that, you know, like for historic building, they tend to, the, the style they're doing is tend to be more decorative. It's a lot more complex compared not similar to what we're seeing the building trend right now. It's chic, simple, industrial style. So if you're using traditional like Revit or AutoCAD for point cloud extraction, it will be very, very difficult and time consuming and also with a very low quality. So in our company, we actually test out a lot of different methods and then we finally settled on to do this thing called reverse engineering which is kind of similar. So we use a software like 3ds Max, and now we use uh, Geomagic Design X. Um, but uh, during the process, we're also using some like Dynamo for auto population, but that's like very small part of it. But in terms for the complex geometry portion, we use a lot of like 3ds Max and Geomagic Design X software. Very cool. Yeah, I'm, I'm unfamiliar with that Geo, Geomagic Design X software. I'm going to have to check into that. Yeah. Um, so, so does that allow you, like, so if you've got uh, historical, you know, banister or something, you know, ornate concrete on the front of a building, 
maybe um, to do like sweeps and things like that. And yeah, does it auto mesh it? Like, what what is it? What is it specifically doing for you? So this uh, software, like Geomac Design X, it's not so popular in construction industry, but it's very very popular in the manufacturing industry. So okay. um, so it provides a manufacturer with the freedom and flexibility to extract the design parameter from any real-world parts. So if you see a car on the street and you scan it, you can use this to do the modeling. And then wow. you can perfect a certain part for mass production. Okay, so it's kind of like creating a mesh from, from your point cloud of, of an object, essentially, but not having to go through any tedious cleanup, like it's doing all the detail work for you? Correct. So it's um, it's similar to 3ds Max. You do the, you create, you snapping, you create the polygon meshes one point at a time, and you snap into the vertices in the point cloud object. And then okay. using the standard modeling technique. For example, in the point cloud, you snap into three points and it created like polygon. And then you just uh, snap into each single point and create a very, very accurate model to representing um, the real world geometry. So this is used a lot for older buildings, you know, like Studio 54 or like any curvature that's yeah. kind of hard to do in Revit. Yeah, and I'd imagine the the drawings that you're going to get from there, if you get any like paper based, the 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 condition that they'd be in is either very hard to read and interpret, or uh, they're gone. Yes. Yeah. Um, funny story like related to this. So we actually got tasked by a architecture firm. Um, there is a very 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 expensive chair, costs like forty grand. Um, you want to produce more chair um, to display in the gallery. So we actually um, scan the chair, uh, which is difficult at the very beginning because there's so much reflection. So your point cloud yeah. data would be very noisy, but we bought a special spray and to avoid reflection. And then we generate a model from there for, for the chair so they can use it for um, 3D printing, which is very That's cool. very cool. That is awesome. I just watched a video on this Geomagic Design X. That is that is pretty cool. Reverse engineering software from a scan. That is that is great. Like they're doing showing complex, like you mentioned earlier, manufacturing. So like um, rotors and you know things with blades and really complex geometry that has to be you know it's it's engineered to a precise uh, component. Like that's that's a ingenious um, thing that I guess most people that I've talked to about historical uh, scans. This is not something that has come up. No, um, we actually like, you know, it's not like we found it at the very beginning. So when, when we first tasked out to do one like really complex facade modeling, we started with using Revit and AutoCAD and a three weeks passed by, we realized it really time consuming. And when you model to that detail, your Revit become very, very slow. Yep. Uh, we actually did a couple iterations to get to the like Geomagic X, um, we actually started with using SketchUp, uh, which is kind of hard to believe because I know a lot of people have this love and hate relationship with SketchUp. Um, but actually, SketchUp is pretty cool dealing with point cloud. Okay. So there are a couple plugins you can use to import the point cloud um, data to it. 
And the, the easy thing about SketchUp is very good at picking the working plane for extrusion. So if you can find a really good base shape for any geometry, it can be done easily in SketchUp, which is very different from Revit, because Revit, you know, it's you're always struggling with picking the working plane. Um, so we started with SketchUp to modeling some dome, and I realized that's good. Um, but you still like there are not many people know how to use SketchUp anymore, and that is not a direction we want to we want to go as a firm as well. And then we're slowly transitioning to use 3ds Max. Um, so 3ds Max, you can do point cloud modeling as well. It's a similar concept as the Geo um, Magic Design X but it's kind of hard to do QC. So, and then after we do a couple trials for 3ds Max, the software crashes a lot. Um, sorry, Autodesk, but I know you guys release a lot of updates, but um, later we decide to just go to Geomagic Design X. It significantly shortened the production period, actually. Um, we modeled this whole facade probably in two weeks and they generated a heat map for you, actually. So the heat map shows you the deviation. So it shows all the deviation. The, the bigger the deviation is, will be showing as red, and then the lower will be green. So you can easily generate that map for you. So you don't have to actually go, see, like, go cut a lot of section plane in your Navis work for QC at all. Wow. Yeah, that sounds like an awesome, awesome tool. I, I can't wait to actually start digging into it. I made a note. I was actually watching a video in the background. Like, uh, it's it's uh, it's pretty remarkable. I think um, what you were saying earlier about the SketchUp, though, um, I think, you know, it's been kind of ever since, you know, they were bought, you know, bought and sold from Google. They kind of lost a lot of, I don't know, I don't want to say market share or whatnot, but they uh, they seem to have like a more of a niche and it was more about interior design and less about exterior facades, all that sort of stuff. Um, I, you know, run into a few architects from time to time that, you know, they'll use it for, you know, uh, quick conceptual stuff. But for the most part, it's it's all on the interior side. Yeah. Um, the 3DS Max, though. Yeah, we've 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 had our problems, too. It is what it is. <laughs> yeah. So for the SketchUp, if you watch any, like, you know, the interior challenge competition, if they want to do a quick visual, they normally go with SketchUp. Um, it does have its unique feature. Um, for example, if you are modeling for a tilt panel, you want to have the brick layout showing on top of um, your model. You cannot actually do that in Revit. So it will take a lot of time to place individual brick on your exterior wall to show that but in sketchup it's very very easy so i see some contractors especially till panel contractors actually prefer to use sketchup so they export that into cad file and then uh or their um the mash file so you can import it back to your revit yeah yeah we've we've seen tilt panel contractors use everything it's all about the right tool for the right job we've seen uh uh, Vectorworks, all kinds of crazy, yep. uh, or SolidWorks, it was one of them. All kinds of crazy solutions I was that you don't really with, think uh, about. I was working with somebody to do parts in Revit, and that's essentially how they were trying to build panels. They were essentially nesting, like they build out, uh, you know how you separate your wall into parts? They can kind of separate it out and then nest these families 
for the uh, the actual um, uh, the wall hanger system. It was pretty neat, pretty neat to see, but it took a lot of time to do that, a lot. I'm like, ah, I'm not sure it's worth, you know, spending that amount of time. Yeah. Were they going through Inventor first, or what was? Yeah, I think plan? I think that's what they were doing is going through Inventor first and then bringing it in. Okay. Yeah. Ah, uh, right tool for the right job. That's you know, there's no one, there's no, there's no one Swiss answer, Army knife no. that's going to do anything. That's no. I mean, that's what construction is too. I love it. I love the fact that. We do things one way, and we were talking about this earlier. Somebody else has got an idea. They just come through and it's like, well, why are you doing it that way? This way is so much faster. Uh, that's that that uh, software you mentioned earlier. I'm gonna I'm gonna be uh, trying to get some beta testing or I'm something. I'm gonna like. look at that. Yeah, that's that's pretty cool. That is very cool. Yeah, I said beta testing. I meant trial. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, think, I think it's already released. You don't need me to beta test it. Jeez, Joe. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. guys, I drank six Coronas already. <laughs> no, I'm only uh, one and a half in, all right? I'm, I'm all right, all right. I'm pacing myself. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, but, I mean, we talk about 3DS Max. Actually, there are some good things about it. It's like you can incorporate your 3D, like your point cloud data in your scene without actually to model them, and then you yep. can render them. So yep. if sometimes, you know, the owners or your client just want to see a final rendering you can actually use 3ds max to do it without actually model it yeah 3ds yeah. max has a fantastic rendering engine too I, the thing is i don't get into 3ds max enough i know we got a, a friend of ours that like he builds really complex you know action you know characters and all kinds of stuff in that like yeah, he, he does, does amazing stuff and i'm like you're a wizard in there he designs yeah. out his own furniture and renders it and stuff and i'm like dude that's yeah, so like you're, cool you're a wizard with this right and i see a lot of cool people doing some stuff pumping out to uh headsets using 3ds max as the bypass uh but but uh, uh i just i get in there and i feel like an idiot like I, it'd be, it's like me getting an autocad these days I, I open it up and i'm like oh wait where was that button uh, <laughs> i just i just don't know but. I just start typing and then I go through the commands. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, it's got to be one of these, right? If I type in line, then it should give me. <laughs> I don't know where the command for W block is, but I know how to type it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. There you go. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Love it. Uh, so, how often are you in in CAT these days? For as a BIM VDC. Uh, coordinator, are you more on the Navisworks side, Revit? I know you're in all these other ancillary products. Um, or do you ever find yourself in CAD still? Uh, Asagato CAD, I should preference, not just CAD. We we rarely use AutoCAD. Um, so I guess that most of my work right now is in Revit and also Navisworks, and I do a lot of um, tutorial or instruction on BIM 360. So as normally our client brought us on board, we actually a huge advocator for the BIM 360 suite th um, design, um, more precise. So we do help clients set up a lot of that upfront. And the only time I would use AutoCAD is, um, you know, we're doing Army Corp job. So we need to use AutoCAD. Um, yeah. Or would you survey file? Okay. If you're producing the site plan um, for an underground utility, all those things, um, CAD is still the the file that's commonly used. Um, the reason being, all the surveyor there still only take AutoCAD file. If you use a Revit 
um, they just don't take it. They have to go. They will ask you to export a CAD. Export to DWG, yeah. 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 So that's why we just use AutoCAD to begin with. To yeah. They, so on the survey side, they can't bring in a Revit file in the Civil 3D. They need that DWG. Um, but yeah, I, we, we've got a lot of overlap so, here. So we actually, Dave and I are big BIM 360 enthusiasts. Definitely. We preach yep. it across the country. We do implementations like we, um, uh, you know, we were an Autodesk reseller in our, our day jobs. So it's kind of like part of part of who we are, what we do. Mm-hmm. Um, you guys have a unique approach because you guys can do it from a project perspective, not necessarily from a client perspective. That's That's got to be awesome. Like, um, working so I, have, with, I have a question sorry, for you though, Flora, like since you're, I, I know you're probably doing some clash detection and some kind of, um, coordination with the Navis, right? Mm-hmm. So have you had a chance to test out BIM 360 coordinate yet? Um, I have not, unfortunately. Okay. When you get a second, test that out. I really like it. So it, it's, it's almost like a mini Navis works in the cloud. They, they allow us to do automatic clash detection, you know, filter through your clash groups, save views, assign them as issues, building, you know, kind of right building right into that uh, issue engine, issue creation engine that's in uh, docs, like document management. I, I, uh, I've been waiting to see as more people like if we'll get more adoption of it, kind of what they see in terms of pain points of using coordinate, you know, over. Um, I, I know you're not going to replace Navis, obviously, the amount of files it can intake and the things that you can do in Navis, you, you can't replace it yet. But I'm thinking that uh, that coordinate in the cloud, I, I'd really like to get uh, get some more opinions on that. Well, it's definitely coming along, man. So the. Um... Now you can open those issues the, uh, from your coordinate inside of Navisworks, so you can actually see your 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 issues inside of Navisworks. From oh, yeah, on the, the desktop version. Yeah, that yeah, was yeah. awesome. That was great. And then um, uh, and that's just plain Navis uh, opening those BIN 360 issues. And uh, I got a friend on on that team. Uh, shout out to Zach Kramal here. He's, you know, a wizard. Yeah. Uh, he uh, got a bunch of stuff going with BIN 360 layout, next gen, and they're – now he's on the the Navisworks team and a lot of great stuff coming out of Navisworks Coordinate. So I'm not gonna tip my hand and, and say uh, you know, say what's coming, but, but but some cool things are coming. Uh, Autodesk is uh, you know we'll let them release it, but really excited for the whole BIM 360 platform and where it's headed. Yeah, me too. Hey, Flora, so let me ask you, um, where did you where how did you get started in this industry? Where did where did it all kind of begin for you? Um, so I know, like, I started, you know, when I was a kid, actually, I was obsessed with playing this video game called Sims. Yeah, yeah. Sims (laughs) was awesome. Yeah, you design homes for the virtual character, but so I was obsessed with that. And later, when I um, was time to choose my major for college, I decided to go with civil engineering um, because it was known one of the hardest major. And I just want to prove myself. Also, I like the idea to work on something very tangible. Um, I like coding, don't get me wrong, but mm-hmm. coding something like I don't have a fulfillment that much. So it's not tangible for me and it cannot be touched. So I really like construction from this perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when I got into grad school, um, I went to UIUC, Urbana-Champaign. Um, I was doing research with my advisor at that time, Mani Gopava, who is very famous in the BIM industry. Um, 
so that time we're working on this thesis called virtual reality with safety training. So it combines construction with modeling, and I was very excited because basically I'm playing games as my career. Um, that is totally not <laughs> how I think about BIM today. You know, it's not about modeling; it's more about information of yes, yeah. VDC. But it's what brought me into this um, this industry. Yeah, it was the seed. It was is the first thing that you saw kind of grew from there. Correct. That, yeah. That that how you how you perceive it now is actually how we connected. Um, you had this amazing post that you wrote about uh, about uh, BIM, and you shared on LinkedIn. And there was this graphic that was just so remarkable. Um, I I I I still you know go back and, and look at that, and I'll send it to people because that graphic is amazing. It was the graphic that shows the old way of BIM and it was all disconnected, disjointed, and it was serving each siloed. individual silo. Yeah. yeah. Who, you know, what, you know, I'm going to use BIM to, you know, do whatever I want here. I'm going to do BIM for whatever I want here. And they're all charging the owner to do BIM. But at the end, the owner doesn't have uh, any benefit of the BIM uh, or have any understanding what, what was actually was going on there. He just paid X amount of dollars for it. Um, and then your, your graphic on the bottom was kind of everybody in this neat triangle and it was all for the owner's benefit. It was, it was, a uh, a great graphic. And like, I had like, I don't know, like 4,000 views on it, you know, six reshares. It was all yours. I give you hundred percent credit. <laughs> it was amazing. And then from there, Danielle, uh, um, reached out and said, Oh, it was Flora. You gotta, you gotta get her on your podcast. So that's kind of how this all came out. You're, uh, are you regularly producing content? Um, uh, for, for that end, do you have like a blog or articles or anything that you want to point people to? Um, I do not. I'm actually pretty guilty about that. Um, I should be producing more content because based on like, you know, I, I run probably like 30 jobs per year. Um, actually, it will be a really good content for me to producing was combining all lesson learned from different projects. But sometimes you just got so focus on your day-to-day -day operation instead of actually take a step back to write some good content for the industry to use as a reference but i'm trying hard to actually do that a lot more um yeah. since especially right now i actually have to go to a different conferences give presentation i think it will be a good opportunity to do that um, our company via technic actually partner with bd plus c so we actually have a blog um in the BDNC uh, plus C like website. So not only me producing content, it's more like a team effort. Every single person will um, constantly posting things probably once a month on that website. So if you're interested, you can go just um, check it out. Yeah, I actually I was on there today. I checked out one of the uh, the electrical prefabrication within BIM blogs. I thought it was uh, very educational. Um, it was it was good. And then you start seeing some generative design blogs, things like that. I think uh, it's great. I'm a little guilty of that too. Not gonna lie. I want to you know start. I was talking to Joey about uh, this the other day. Like man, I really want to start posting more content. You know, we we can create a blog. You know, post some links about things that we see. You know, we research what we're gonna do. Just posting that information so everybody can kind of uh, have access to it. Yeah, the hard thing though is also knowing what you can and can't say due to NDAs. <laughs> like, That's right, definitely I, I true. I really want to talk about this, but, but I really can't. Uh, I don't think I can. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I I feel like right now, 
the industry have like two trend. I'm not going to say it's good or not, but one is people like to say ASAP. I want things ASAP. Um, Another trend is people like customized tool to themselves. Um, So they they have to unique, um, you know, advantage, but they don't like to share it. Those are the two things I start feeling more and more in the industry, in my day-to-day job, actually. So what do you do day to day, Flora? Uh, so when I first joined Via Technic, I I actually was on site for Apple Campus, you know, the donut for the new Apple headquarter on site engineer for two years. I was doing coordination every single day for that job. Um, Funny, you actually mentioned BIM 360. So we're actually, that time was a test project for BIM 360 early on. That time, Glue just got released. We actually running clash detection on Glue that time. And then we realized it was not so good. And it was switched back to Navis work. And that time, BIM 360 broke a lot. Um, But but by end of the project, the functionality improved significantly. And then... So basically, I stayed in Cupertino for almost two years, and then I moved back to Chicago, um, started being a project engineer, and then promoted to VDC manager. So I was doing a lot of um, like uh, overall project management. So as I mentioned before, like we're a consultant firm, you really give you a lot of opportunity to try out different things you want. I remember when I first went back, I wanted to try scan to BIM, and I did a, so many point cloud modeling project at, at in that like three months, mm-hmm. and then my eyesight actually dropped a lot. <laughs> <laughs> no, <That sucks. laughs> yeah. So and I was like, oh, I think I I got what um, scan to BIM is about. Um, mm-hmm. That's when I actually did a um, beta testing for. For Clear Edge, actually. Yeah. Okay. Um, wow. I, yeah. Yeah. So that's when I did it, and then I was like, okay, I want to try something new. Maybe coordination is my next challenge because it's not about me. It's more about every single person working on the project at a, at the same time. So we start. I start running a lot of coordination job. I remember the first one was a Google um, Office tenants fit out. So we're not even doing the modeling. I basically run the coordination, asking all the trades what they need to change. Um, that was very popular like last year or even two years ago. Um, so during that period of time, I actually learned a lot about um, like MEPF knowledge. Because as a successful BIM coordinator, you can't just tell people, hey, here's a clash, go resolve it. Um, this is not how... A, how the smooth run will be, because if you just tell people where it is, they will just do a lot of offsets. It's very expensive. There will be a lot of fittings. Um, it's just not buildable in the field. So yeah. we start doing a lot of like um, step back to do like coordination from a bigger picture. We try to have a certain sequence we design within the company. You know, we look at a foundation. We'll look at risers, and then from there we start looking finding the root cause cost of a lot of issues and then only talk about like bigger issues in in the you know in the job yes 
you know, like that's that's what we do. And now my day to day is purely as I jump out of the project management role, mm-hmm. I start like working a lot of with owners. I actually write a lot of BIM execution plan. I write a lot of BIM protocol. It's more for designing the process to set up for success instead of focusing on the project itself. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. And it's about, um, I mean, adjusting that process as you go through each project, seeing the pain points, seeing the weaknesses, whatever happens, you know, and and adjusting for that and from that, I guess. Right. So, you know, for like, if you work for owner, you really want to provide a guidance. They they have some unique things they want to implement during the process. They want to really write it down as a protocol. Uh, who actually, so they want the person who write it, who actually has a background of coordination, they have a background in facility management, but same time, they are really good at using software itself. They need to know how to use Revit and work or maybe BIM 360. So yeah. if you combine all these things together, we, um, that's basically my day-to-day job. Um, and also helping my other team members to be successful in their job. So pass my lesson learned, um, check on their projects. That's yes. Much it. That's evolution. That's how it goes. That's how it's supposed to be. You think about it, it's the sharing of knowledge and, and helping everyone kind of grow with you and learn from that. That's how we want really BIM to evolve in general. So I, th- I think that's great. Now, um, you said that uh, you helped beta test uh, ClearEdge. I'm guessing EdgeWise? Uh, we test edgewise and also variety. Oh, variety. Yeah. Variety. Yeah. Right. Yeah. What'd you I think? That one. It was very cool. That time we actually would just release and I was working on this, um, small point cloud project and it helped do it. It helps so much about, um, like QC process. Yep. I can see easily where are the BIMs are off. I can set a, you know, threshold for that. Um, I think that time I even wrote the testimony for the Verity. Awesome. Yeah. Years ago. <laughs> okay. No, Verity, you know, honestly, I, I, that's one of the things I really get into as well um, uh, with point cloud scanning verification of, you know, pro- well, I want to say verification of everything. I like verification of design to as-built and then verification of construction itself, you know, and making that a, a kind of living process. I think that's awesome. Um, Dude, but, David uh, actually gave a presentation at AU. Uh, I did. Well, it was actually the construction day. Uh, they were doing, uh, what was it, verification using Verity and uh, yep. a, a scanner, uh, uh, yeah. station two-in-one. Yeah, we're uh, we're big fans of the clear edge side of things. Um, again, you know, tool for the job. Earlier, you mentioned about historical scanning. I've always known it's like, man, this is this is a pain point. So, um, you know, hopefully, you know, we can tout some, you know, pull some ears over at clear edge and get them to write something for that. That'd be pretty cool. Yeah, that would. You know, I really like though. Um kind of your points about coordination and, um, you know, scan to BIM, connecting everything together. I mean, bringing that all together, I would think, is going to help with any type of, like, let, let's say, I, I, of course, I'm going to bring up fabrication or prefabrication, right? A- anything that we can start to control off-site, if we can have the right measurements, have the right number of fittings, how everything's going to be cut, how it needs to be angled, and be able to just push that out and assemble it or assemble it pre, you know, before it gets on site and ship it out. I think 
the more that we coordinate, the more that we utilize this data and get everything down to exactly where we need it to be and kind of, as you say, detect those root causes and, and see what comes up almost every project or, you know, different projects and how to avoid that, how to kind of, if not avoid it, how to work around it, right? And how to get around it with the most time and least amount of money. Yeah, for sure. Um I feel like as I work more and more um, BIM projects, I really feel like BIM is more about education process. Mm -hmm. um, there are people who really know software, but there are, you really need to bring the owner on board. And that process is a lot of like education. Sometimes yep. if you ask owner, what do you want to do? Do you want a fabrication? They will be so excited. Tell me, yes, I want it. But when you ask them, so what specifically thing, what specific things you want? And they sometimes will be like, I don't really know. But when you show them, they will say, oh, this is exactly what I want. So it's more about teaching the owners to ask, explain the, the weeds and all the things they need to mm -hmm. consider. Um, so when you say fabrication, you ask them, they're like, okay, I want to do fabrication. So when you ask them, so for example, the electrical conduits, do you yep. want the 10 foot stick or how do you want your sheets to be organized? But sometimes they don't, they don't, they have, don't know. Yeah. yeah they, don't know. they don't have a good idea about it. So you want to really show case some, the past examples to them. And from there, they can provide a lot of value, valuable comments on that. Yep. Um, the same for like, you know, you do facility management because that's the next step of like building built, being built. Yes. Right? Yep, um, yep. FM. So if you ask a lot of owners and they have a lot of data, they actually want to collect. But when you collect a lot of data, you actually don't really put them into good use. You have to constantly have this conversation with them what are the real data they actually need because at the very beginning you're like oh how what kind of data i need to track in terms of their room do you want the height do you want width do you want it like the volume do you want the sensor they said i want it all but that's the, the cost just so much so this is back to your point in order to make this bim really work out from the scan to bim to coordination to fabrication to fm it's more about teaching people at a red row what 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 are what the, that is yeah what that looks like exactly yes we, we've had that conversation quite a bit you know people say I want BIM well you know an owner hands over uh, everybody hands over a project at the end the owner's got this BIM model uh, for lack of a, a better phrase but it's not really BIM it's you know LOD 200 geometry on everything there's no asset information, there's no, you know, commissioning, none of that stuff uh, as populated the model. So having that conversation with the owner, hey, look, what do you actually need in this BIM model? Yes, you don't need 100%, uh, uh, you know, level uh, LOD 450 or whatever, you know, you don't need all of this stuff in there. It doesn't have to be all in there. Um, but, you know, there are a certain amount of elements that you are going to want and you want to feed that over to your FM system. Yeah. Um, and then the prefabrication side, like, you know, there's a million different ways you can go. You can talk about uh, um, uh, pre-coordinated, uh, coordinated prefabricated skids, you know, all disciplines, all in one skid. How's this going in? What is the benefit to the owner? Is the owner going to pay off on the extra cost of materials? Like having to have those conversations. So you you are truly in a unique position 
where you can communicate yeah. that. And I, that's, I admire and that. That's awesome. To circle it all back, you know, it, it goes to what each project needs, you know, and then getting past that, like how to use this process for this project to optimize it, right? But also looking back at, again, what adoptions can we make from learning after this project, doing, um, gosh, I can't, I cannot think of what it was called anymore, but we used to do a uh, an AAR, actually, an after-action review in the military. That's what we called it. Every time we'd run exercises, every time we'd do you know, two-week stints in the field, anything like that, is we'd come, come together as a team and say, what can we do better? Like what a good, better, best? Yes, yes. And I think that, of course, is is feeding all back into this. You know, we all, we got to connect it together and push it forward into bettering our process as a whole. Yeah, this is so important, but I feel like, again, when you're so looking to the weeds about the project, you will forget about this. When you're like, when you finish, like finish your project, you'll be like, oh, I'm so happy. I'm so relieved. Finally, I finished the project, but you're just missing that one step to looking back what can be improved for future. Yep. So yep. other people don't have to make the same mistake. Exactly. Um, this is a, definitely the gap um, in terms for like different projects as well. Sometimes you'll be surprised why people don't talk more about their lesson learning projects. <laughs> yeah, you know it. I mean, it, it's funny, but it, it, we have these conversations a lot. It, it's really, oh, you're having this problem? Yeah, okay, I, I've heard that. Uh, a lot, actually. This is typically what we see. And it's like you, you wish that people could just like let's have this forum, right? Like like a podcast here. Let's have this forum where everybody can share this information, this knowledge base. Don't silo all of it. Help others learn and, and the entire industry, right, better itself. Yep, for sure. I guess this is why you guys want to do this podcast. So yes. And more yes. people can share their experience on it. Well, without yep. without violating NDA, for sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Um, we 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 do our best on that that part. <laughs> Although we've had to go back and edit some stuff. Just just want to say, no, I'm just kidding. We we've been good. We've no. been good. No, no hand slap. No, no, no. And I'm still, you know, I'm back to my hippie roots. I feel I feel all um kind of like you know hippie about this this bim information i'm like i i just want to go and share this information with everybody you know Dave, share Dave's it walking around like bim's for everybody man. bim is for everybody <laughs> <laughs> bim um for you bim for you i guess a question for you guys so you know as we work on more and more bim projects now you know bim is not about 3d geometry anymore oh. But you still hear about that all the time. Mm. How do you guys, do you guys still trying to educate people, correct them, or sometimes you just go with it? I don't like to correct people because, I don't know, I always feel like I'm putting them off. I'm like, you're doing it wrong. It's like, no, no, no. Okay. Yes. Okay. There's geometry there that you can use later on, but what information are you actually sharing and um, communicating to other people and how are you leveraging information that other people putting in the model? And if there is missing information that would make your life easier, what is that information? And let's have this conversation as a whole. Um, like it, you gotta like spell it out without actually Dude, like a lot of spelling times, it out. <laughs> a lot of times what I say is, you know, we'll look at a block, right? You'll look at a family inside of Revit. Okay. Do you need this family to be, you know, this detailed, or are you really looking for the information that this family has, what to take out of it, right? 
you start and I honestly I, I talk about this in every class that I teach um, just kind of what BIM is what we can use it for just kind of disassociating that um, that facade that BIM is just this 3D model you know BIM is Revit yes bit Revit feeds into the BIM process it, it really does but it, again, it is it's it's all about the information in these models and managing that information. Yeah, for sure. Um, I remember one time Danielle was sharing the story that she was on a call with another client, and I think uh, one person said, "This is a how this is not how I interpret a VDC," and it just um, made us think. Do people really have different interpretation of VDC, or is it a possible to have different interpretation, or should we try to unify this whole workflow about VDC? You know what I think we we should do at some point, um, and I mean this is this is kind of horrible to say, but I want us to standardize at some point. I want us to to standardize a process, help everybody learn it, and then. You go the whole um, you can add to but can't take away from route. Like let's let's all get here and let's all start here and then from there we can kind of build off of it and continue progressing and, and raising that bar as we need to. Well, as as we get into things like AI, generative design, uh, GIS and BIM integration, there has to be some sort of standards that are set in place. That I mean, we've got all the ISOs, we've got some stuff that that's great. Um, but you ask people, you know, I can't remember ISO 90 whatever. Um, you ask them what it means, and they're like, I don't know. I just took a test or something, or I took a class online. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, well, <laughs> how are you implementing that in your day to day? And and how can we get more people to standardize on it? Because the more people we have standardizing on the way data gets put into a project, data is actually taken out of a project. The more that we can standardize the FM systems. Uh, the more that we can standardize the whole process that feed into it. And I'm, I'm a sucker for standards, but I also believe that there's a little bit, there's a lot, you know, to be honest, of chaos in construction that just makes construction sexy. That's that's what I'm like. I'm like, <laughs> just, there's just enough chaos that I'm like, you know what? Screw all the standards. This is awesome. But oh, gosh, time, there's always chaos yeah. in construction. I think there's always going to be chaos in everything that we do. Um, but I think that the more that we can do to predict that chaos, right? That's a message for the times, man. There's, there's chaos in <laughs> everything we do. Every, there is. And we, if we, the more that we can do to predict and kind of, I don't want to say control it, but, you know, kind of adapt to it and overcome, you know, push through it, then I think the better that we can become. Boom. Yeah, for sure. Um, I feel like all the construction projects to me, sometimes I roller coaster you have this like moment you feel like your heartbeat just stops. It's especially every time when I produce penetration drawing, this is what's happening. When I submit it, all I'm thinking yeah. is like, oh my God, what if I miss one? Right. <laughs> what if one is off? Oh no. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're like really like a roller coaster moment, but at the same time, it's fun, right? You're like passion for result. This is yep. what you're doing. You're passionate about to you're passionate about what you're doing. That's why you're enjoying this roller coaster moment. I agree. I agree. And then it's, you know, you think about it, it's, it is in that chaos that you kind of start learning to thrive, but also um, as you're adopting to it 
at adapting to it, right? As you're kind of changing, it, it, it kind of forces you to look at things in a different way. And, and that's where we can really learn from those moments or even after, you know, after all the chaos is over and you're like, oh, thank goodness. Oh, man, you can look back at it a little bit and say, you know what? I could have done this or, you know what? What if we did this? And that's where I think that kind of learning comes into place and it keeps us to continue learning, right? Continue bettering this as much as we can. Yeah, for sure. So, so Flora, um, given that most people, I won't say most people. Yeah, probably most people. We just did like a general poll in the world and said, what is BIM? They wouldn't know. They wouldn't have any idea. But so I'll just say most people, given that most people don't know what BIM is and, and, uh, we're still having to educate people on, you know, the information in it. Um, is that like the most important thing you would change in the industry is education of that? Or is there something else that you're, you know, really, you know, excited for to, to change in the industry that you think is, is coming at a much quicker rate? Or I'm just curious, uh, what is that one thing that you're just like, oh, my gosh, I can't wait for this to happen? Um, <laughs> that's a great question. Um, I remember one time I was so excited is uh, when all the people stopped calling me a CAD service company provide like service provider. Um, <laughs> that happens a lot actually. When you go brought on board by GC and all the subs you never worked before, they'll be like, okay, this um this CAD person. And then I remember there is one meeting they're like oh, you know, this BIM expert, Flora, is here. And I was like, oh, my God, this is, I thank you so much. You <laughs> finally stopped calling me that. And I think this is a great way. That is a contribution to do with the industry. That means people slowly don't mix BIM with CAD together. They think they're different and we're more value-driven instead of the content-driven. Yeah, that's 100%. I mean, you think about CAD, there is a, I don't know, it's like a clearly defined end goal. Like, I know I have to detail this amount of stuff with my software. BIM, I, I don't know, it seems more loose. It seems it seems undefined, and it's all process-driven. It is process, process, process. CAD is just about, you know, I'm not saying just about, for all my CAD drafters out there, you guys are awesome. But you're, you're creating content, and it has less to do with, you know, how you're creating the content and why you're creating content, but more yep. about producing the contract because content because that's where you're contractually obligated to. BIM is just a whole different, you know, set uh, of standards that goes on top of that or process that goes on top of that gets layered with it, um, you know, how you're doing your CAD and, and, and how people are using that information later on. Exactly. Yeah, it does feed into the process. It's just got to, you got to learn how to feed into the process, what standards to utilize and, and where to go for the, for certain projects. Right. So, so, yeah, so what, oh, sorry. Oh, sorry. <laughs> oh, I was just going to add a, like one last thing. So that's why, you know, based on all those things we talk about BIM, it's more process driven. It makes it harder to calculate the real ROI of your investment actually. So that's why we're trying to implement this new thing called VDC framework. So there are a couple metrics we're trying to track during the process, during any like BIM project. So like, for example, like how many emails reduced, how many revisions reduced, how many design changes happened upfront. This not necessarily evaluate from the money perspective, but from the the call, like from the duration, you know, the schedule perspective, from the work quality perspective, it just make a 
this is something we're trying to do within the company. And I would like to share with you guys later if we have any findings on this portion. Oh, I'd love it. I'd yeah. Love it. That'd be awesome. Great. We, we've got a friend, uh, David Corticus, who has a, a company, BIM Synergistics. They, he does this whole thing about like, you know, getting rid of RFIs. It's like if you can communicate the value of like just getting rid of something, like having to reduce emails, get rid of RFIs, minimizing change orders, like, uh, you know, all of this stuff that you can actually communicate that is really a headache. It's a time suck. Uh, it creates a panic and the level of frustration that goes to it. Oh, I would love that. Just uh, whenever you guys have that matrix, we are we would love to see it. Yeah, definitely. For sure. So, so um, uh, you let's mentioned say, what you're let's say for. with feeling everything kind of, or well, with seeing everything that you've seen, kind of where you started and where you are now, being you know, going through coordination, going through well, managing construction projects, kind of seeing everything as, as you've kind of seen it today, what would be some things that, or what, let's say one big thing that you would try to change in the industry? If you, if you could say, we do it this way, what would, what would you change? Um, I might need to put a lot of a thoughts on that, but right now is, um, I really, so there's one, I'm going to use this one project as example, but uh, but use this example to illustrate the point I'm trying to say. So this one client is trying to ask us to produce a set of composite drawing that's incorporated all the field RFIs, incorporated all the design changes, and incorporated all the changes due to coordination. So the field team and then submit this set of drawing to the designer for approval, and then the field team can use this. So after the client asked me to do this, and I'm like, yeah, this makes so much sense. Why didn't we do it at the very beginning? The central like composite drawing was all the information in it, and the field team can really use this with like zero RFIs in the field because they know this design reflect all the coordinate layout and it's stamped by the designer. Um, so maybe this is something I want to change is really making the designer, the GC, the, the, the coordinator and the field team all talk together to produce this set of documents for ever to everybody use as a reference. Yeah, I, I, I am 100% on board. The more we can do concurrent engineering and IPD type projects and get everybody on board sooner and uh, change um, essentially the whole structure of it. Yes. Having to do a set of documents, then redo a set of documents. Uh, and then, you know, are you on the latest version? Is the details in there? Like it's never communicated throughout to everybody that needs it. You've got one set of group. Uh, who has their own level of detail that they need for the fabrication shop that never makes it back to the to the model, yeah. uh, just dumb design. But yet the guys out in the field that maybe not be on that team but are on another team that are interacting with that team don't installing know. It. Yeah, they're 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 well they're not necessarily installing it, but they could be installing it. But more or less they could be working in that same space and they weren't thinking of um, you know certain geometry or or how that was working, or, or maybe it wasn't actually the best design because they could have had both 
run through the same space. And I don't know, there's just so much stuff to think about that we, we don't get to think about because we're so siloed. Um, yes. and I, I, is that something you think, Flora? Is that something you run into more is uh, contract types uh, dictating the way that projects um, get to, uh, I guess, more or less coalesce, like everybody comes together at once? Yes, um, especially right now I'm in California. Um, you know, California has a very unique way to do projects is design assist. So that's basically bring the contractor, the sub, the contractor's content into the design model, design document for approval, which definitely streamline the process. Yeah, you're getting you're getting those people that are further downstream involved sooner, and that uh, that changes construction. That puts it on its head. I think we're still. Uh, so I'm on the. I don't know where they classify me as pencil tucky. Someone told me I'm in <laughs> Pittsburgh. <laughs> uh, I'm not, I'm not the Midwest. I'm not the East coast. I'm kind of the Appalachians. Uh, I guess. I don't know. Pencil tucky sticks though. So I'm in pencil tucky and I'm chatting with people about BIM day in, day out. Well, what kind of projects are you doing? Oh, we just got this, you know, uh, design build project. Oh, well that's great. You know, how many of these do you do a year? Well, this is our first one. Like seriously, it's yeah. just now transitioning from where we were on the, the Pacific Northwest. Everything was design build, design assist, IPD. It was all there. It was this mecca. And now I'm just starting to slowly see a trickle out here. Uh, I'm sure bigger projects. I know your Chicago office has probably done quite a few of the bigger projects out there, but it's starting to come. And I'm just, it's the wave I'm so excited for. It is. I'm a big fan of design build. Uh, that process, just connecting everything and everyone together. And honestly, in that sense, they're going to see what their pain points are. They're going to see how to effectively communicate, either getting rid of those RFIs and, and being able to connect, you know, the design teams to their project team, so they know, hey, we need this level of detail, this constructability in our drawings to be able to do this, to go forward and get this permit or what have you. This is how we're going to do it. Um, having these people just communicate that entire process, I think is going to be great for everything. Yeah, um, I only did a couple of design builds while I was in Chicago. And then when I came to California, I realized they, it's so unique to California region is this uh, design assist. Basically, the while the designer produced a set of model or documents to meet the minimum LOD 200 requirement, the subcontractors or the DAs are um, are required, are responsible upgrading to a level that's buildable in the field, which means all the ducts, all the pipes are segmented, all the hangers, they're actually labeled, all the equipment that's that awesome. actually need their submittal. Yeah. And then the design team take the subcontractors content to produce their design document for Oshpod for approval. Mm -hmm. um, so this this way, those people that are still only doing design assist, but not design build. Um, this is a new thing I learned like past three weeks. I was very excited about. Yeah. I think that's that's very exciting. I mean, when you can start bridging that gap, because I think that's one a huge thing that we see in our industry, right, is is kind of that gap in between um, design and that constructability. If you can bridge that gap sooner in the process, that's that's um, 
well, knowing when to stop, right? And and at one point, what, who takes over and what needs to continue to what level of detail? I think that's great. It saves people a lot of time and a lot of uh, rework money. Yep, for sure. So let's see how that, um, I'm actually helping them writing the protocol for this process. Let's see how it goes. That's um, awesome. Yeah. <laughs> maybe this is something we can um, do a lesson learning in the future as well. So yeah. yeah. Definitely. That sounds awesome. Yeah, I think checking in a, a few weeks or a month or a few, few months from now, uh, have you back on, recap, you know, lessons learned, where you're at in the process, especially as you take this new role. I'm, that'd be awesome. Yes. Yeah, definitely talking is easier than writing. <laughs> <laughs> That's no true. Joke. <laughs> yep. I wanted to write a book. Like just any book. I had no conception about what I wanted to write, but I've always wanted to write a book. And, uh, you know, if I dedicate an hour a day, I could get it done. I have thrown away more pieces of paper than I think I have saved. I just it's writing is so hard. It's it's literally like one of the hardest things to like be completely fulfilled in the 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 outcome of it and actually dedicating the time and actually making sure your words are coming across in a clear manner. And then it's just, I don't know, well articulated. It's just, I, I don't have a, a gift for it at all. Nope. Um, I think it just takes time. Like book is a lot. The same thing back to the blog actually takes quite a long time because you have to think about language. Um, you have to make it, you know, every sentence short. You got to look at the flow of it, the, the actual yeah. like conditioning of it, like the spacing and everything on like, okay, cool. Do I have every comma in there? I'm horrible about that. I'll send it to um, one of my friends. She actually looks through it all. I, I have two people that are like almost grammar Nazis. So they're like, oh, I'm, I'm on this. And they'll go through it all and put commas and apostrophes where I need it. I'm like, fantastic. Thank you. Well, Dave, you just unofficially signed up to do the, the Brewing with Bim blog because I haven't, I've written one article. So you, thanks for that, bud. Yeah. This is why we're saying you don't want to write email. You want to pick up the phone to call somebody, right? Yes. Oh, yes. Good Lord, yes. Yeah, David sends me texts all the time, and I'm just like, I'm just going to call him. I just – 30 texts in, I'm like, I'm done. Let's just, let's just talk. Same thing with emails. Like this – you know, especially if you're chatting with somebody who seems agitated or maybe you're – you're construing some agitation out of it. It's just the context is never there. Is so much easier. Yeah, yeah it is. Give me a call. Oh yeah, yeah, that's that's the only question I had. Thanks, man. Like, it's like I thought you were mad at me. I thought you wanted to kill my family or something. Like, oh, you, 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 your your text was like shouting at me in the email. But uh, yeah, you get him on the phone. And it's like it's nothing like that. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. All right. Well, you know, I think this has been great. Thank you very much for your time, and I definitely look forward to getting you on for another uh, get, getting you on for another episode. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. And I guess that in the meantime, we'll just keep communicating with each other and share our lesson learned. Yeah. And also, I will definitely follow your podcast. It has been fun. It's actually a pretty nice Saturday afternoon listen because I was doing some random stuff and listening. Um, what's his name? Uh, the previous person. Oh, Johan Tuckler. Johan. Johan. Yeah, ah, you did it. Man. I did it. I know. Dang it. I did it. Johan. <laughs> Johan. Yep. Yep. 
Yes. And I listened, I was like, oh, you brought up a lot of really good points. And then I went to add him on LinkedIn. I was like, I learned so much. Yes. <laughs> I was like, this is a great way for people to connect together and know, um, you know, the different perspective about them. I that, agree. Thank that, you. That's like us in a summary. I love that right yes. there. We just, can we like just caption that? Yeah. Our whole thing is try to not to be stuffy. We like, you know, that's why the whole beer has to be part of the conversation. It gets people off edge. Whatever you're drinking, yeah. Gets people off edge. But at the same time, we get to have a real conversation about things that we think are valuable in the industry, um, things that people should really know, and things that, you know, maybe maybe they're not like, you know, need to know, but they are just really, really cool things to talk about. Um, and, and it's done in a non-stuffy, non you know, this is, you know, corporate, whatever. Let's just hang out, have a beer and talk. I love it. Yep, for sure. All right. Well, Flora, thank you so much for your time. David, as always, uh, it's been a pleasure. It has been a pleasure. Yes, sir.